Welcome to the FinTech One-on-One Podcast, episode number 341. This is your host, Peter Renton, chairman and co-founder of Lendit FinTech. Before we get started, I want to talk about the 10th annual Lendit FinTech USA event. We are so excited to be back in the financial capital of the world, New York City, in person on May 25th and 26th. It feels like fintech is on fire right now with so much change happening, and we will be distilling all that for you at New York's biggest fintech event of the year. We have our best lineup of keynote speakers ever with leaders from many of the most successful fintechs and incumbent banks. This is shaping up to be our biggest event ever as sponsorship support is off the charts. You know you need to be there, so find out more and register at lendit.com. Today on the show, I'm delighted to welcome Ryan Zakaria and Adam Aspez. They are both general partners at Jam Special Opportunity Ventures, which is part of Jacobs Asset Management, which is a well-established money manager focused on the financial services space, but they have a new joint venture called Jam Fintop, which is super interesting, and I wanted to get them on to talk about that. Here, they've created a fund where all of the LPs of the fund are actually community banks. And we wanted to talk about the first fund they've created, the Bank Tech Fund, which is investing in technology that uh, is going to help banks. And then also their second fund, which is a specialized blockchain fund, which is super interesting. We get into both of those funds in some depth. And we also talk about how banks really are thinking about the future of technology, the future of, you know, how they think about blockchain. We end with this really interesting uh, perspective from Adam and Ryan about the future of financial services. It was a fascinating episode. Hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to the podcast, Ryan and Adam. Happy to be here, Peter. Thanks for inviting us. Thanks, Peter. Okay, my pleasure. So, I'd like to kick it off by getting a little bit of background from both of you guys. Just tell us a little bit about what you've done in your career to date. Ryan, I'll start with you. I'm a general partner at Jam Special Opportunity Ventures. We invest out of two venture capital funds. Before that, you know, I was working at Jacobs Asset Management, where I still work um, as director of research covering financial stocks and private companies in and around the financial services ecosystem. And then prior to that, I was an investment banker in Citigroup's financial institutions investment banking group. Okay, great. And Adam? 25-year history investing in U.S. financials, combination on the buy side and sell side, but cross equity research, sales trading, investment banking, done a little bit of everything the last six years at Jacobs Asset Management. Right. Okay. Well, let's get right to it. I want to talk about the origins of JAM, FinTop, and JAM obviously is the acronym for Jacobs Asset Management. But tell us a little bit about how you guys came together. So JAM has a 27-year history investing in U.S. financials. We do it through a hedge fund and private equity funds and focus on U.S. financials, but primarily heavily focus on community banks. And what we recognized over the last several years was that community banks were clearly falling behind the curve on technology. Mm-hmm. And you know, for me, that experience was really amplified as a board observer of a bank that uh, we had a position in. The bank was effectively having to make a decision on whether or not to upgrade their technology or sell the bank. And when we got inside and really saw how the sausage 
was made, it was kind of frightening that what you saw was bank cores that were built in the 70s and 80s on cobalt technology, that you had ACH systems as a payment rail that was built in 1974, that you had really a huge lift in order to build the modern tech stack. That bank decided to sell, but coming out of that, we said, we really need to spend much more time on the future of financial services. What's the future of banking? And you know, Ryan and I really spent time going across Silicon Valley, venture capitalists. And what we did is we formed a relationship with a venture capital firm called Fintop. Fintop's based out of Nashville, stands for Financial Technology Operators, where all the general partners are former uh, entrepreneurs and operators that built, ran, sold fintechs. You know, super impressive group. And we had a shared vision on what that future of community banking was. And we just love what they were doing. They're investing in the Series A rounds of the technology that the banks need to know about in order to remain relevant and competitive. And just said, I think we should do a fund together. Let's do a JV 50-50. We'll go out and raise capital from the banks that we know and we have these deep relationships with. And we're going to make sure they they are up to date and have modern tech stacks. And so it was sort of an idea on paper. We weren't sure if it was going to work, but started talking to banks and there was sort of an overwhelming response. Uh, went out to raise $100 million, wound up having to cap the size of the fund at $150 million after being pretty wildly oversubscribed. Raised money from 66 community banks. Those banks collectively had $650 billion of assets, and that fund closed in April of 21. And we've been actively investing out of it ever since. Right. So who are the banks in the network? Because when I looked at your list, you're not talking about a small town bank with $100 million in assets, right? So just tell us a little bit about the community banks that are in your network. It's a pretty diverse set of banks. So we'll talk about the blockchain fund that we're doing now. But collectively, between the blockchain and the bank tech funds, we now have about 80 banks in our network. And it's very diverse. We've got banks on the high end that are you know, $88 billion in assets, but we do have banks that are under a billion on the low end also. And so it is a pretty wide range of banks, but what they share in common is a tech forward vision and mindset. And that what we've realized is it's not really about the size of your bank. It's really about, you know, are you innovative and do you have a vision of the future? And I should say, when we started this vision, it was a very bearish vision of the future of community banks and that there was just no way for them to be able to compete. And I'd say, as we stand here today, we're super bullish on the small innovative banks that want to lean in and build the modern banking system because the future is open, embedded, blockchain rails, modern cloud cores, artificial intelligence. Any bank can build those rails. The big banks are effectively in some ways at a competitive disadvantage because they can't untangle the mess that they're in. And so <laughs> you know, there's an opportunity for every bank in that network to really lean in and build the bank of the future. Right, right. And so- from what I understand, when uh, on your website and looking, reading your materials, you're more than just an investor, right? You're providing investments. It's like you're engaging with your banking network in a variety of ways. Tell us some of the ways that you're actually you're doing that. So we hired a full-time bank analyst to work with the network. He's on the phone with them every day, talking with them about their pain points and opportunities. We did 180 demos in the last nine months of last year, where we've introduced fintechs to the banks and just telling the banks, hey, this is technology you need to know about to remain relevant. Uh, we do a monthly webinars with our portfolio companies. We'll have an annual conference in Nashville later this year. We've got six committees that are constantly engaged. You know, One committee is only for CIOs, one's for the executive team. We just talk about the emerging technologies, about mindset. And so tech surveys were super engaged on knowing 
what the banks need. And that's where we try to position our investments so that we're actually solving their problems. So can you tell us a little bit about some of the investments you've said you've raised 150 million? Tell us a little bit about some of the investments that you've made and how much of the fund has been deployed. We've made nine investments so far. We've deployed about 15% of the capital. And central to FinTop's you know, investing philosophy is that we're not really investing in consumer-facing technology. So a lot of it is kind of plumbing and infrastructure, the guts of financial services. So mm-hmm. what really excites us are things around process automation, automated underwriting and lending, payments platforms. So that's where we've kind of focused a lot of our kind of deal prospecting and investing. And so there's companies like Monet that we've invested in that kind of enable the bank to embed itself within the accounting systems that small businesses are using. And that kind of provides the banks with this you know, rich data set that they can then use to kind of provide credit. We have a company, Treasury Prime, that is effectively banking as a service enablement. And really what they're trying to do there is facilitate the middleware between innovative banks and disruptive financial technology companies and really kind of satisfy what we think is a very lopsided supply demand dynamic between the amount of innovation and deposits and lending opportunities that are up for grabs versus the amount of banks that have the desire and ability to integrate with those fintechs. And then we have another company as an example called Tax Status that is effectively core infrastructure that facilitates the electronic capture of full IRS tax transcripts direct from the IRS and effectively lenders and servicers can use that information to create underwriting scorecards and for kind of loan surveillance. They're getting kind of real-time information to the extent tax liens are placed. And they're also getting kind of direct from IRS filings, the information, as opposed to relying on potentially fraudulent PDF uploads of tax returns. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, interesting. I'm curious about, you say you're only 15% deployed with the bank tech fund, but you decided to create a new fund just specifically focused on blockchain. What was the thinking about that rather than just having this come out of the bank tech fund? Why create a new fund? So blockchain was always on our radar for all the reasons, you know, cheaper, faster, programmable, replacing trust with truth. But banks have been hesitant to adopt blockchain technology for a variety of reasons. I'd say mainly regulation and cybersecurity. And so the bank tech fund has this huge pipeline that we're working through right now. And there's no shortage of idea flow there. What we saw with blockchain is we wound up meeting with Mike Cagney and Figure last spring when they were doing their Series D. Figure was not a suitable investment for the bank tech fund because that really focuses on Series A investments. But what we saw with Figure is that they had built Provenance. And Provenance was an open decentralized blockchain that was purpose-built for financial services with bank-grade AML KYC. And they're building proof of concept. And we started to see that this was actually a blockchain that we felt banks could actually build on. Mm-hmm. You know, Mike saw the network of banks that we had, thought it was super interesting, would love some introductions because of the engagement that we've talked about. We knew the banks in our network that had actually been asking for blockchain investments and had sort of raised their hand if we ran into anything. So we started making introductions. The first two banks that we introduced them to, New York Community Bank and NBHC, within a month, they had announced strategic partnerships and are actively pursuing multiple endeavors together. So we saw that the opportunity was actually to build something unique and big and real, and but it was much more offensive. The blockchain fund is really having a vision of all assets 
that can be digital assets will be digital assets, that the digital asset market, as Ryan likes to say, will go from 3 trillion to 30 trillion, but it's not there today. This is for the banks that want to lean in and build that future where the bank tech fund is really about, we need technology today that can plug and play, operate outside of our core to remain relevant and competitive and build that bridge until whether it's three, five, seven years from now, when we are riding on cloud-based cores, artificial intelligence in a true, fully modern banking system. So that's the blockchain funds for the future. Bank Tech Fund is relevant for today. Right, right. Okay. So then is it fair to say then it was really a subset of the banks in your network that are really interested in, in blockchain and actually put their money in? There's a lot of overlap. What we're also seeing is some of the larger banks are ready to move on blockchain rails today, lean in. So a lot of the banks, the newer banks that came in are sort of 50 billion asset banks and larger, and they are actively pursuing live blockchain technology projects today. So then the other banks, I guess, what's the resistance from the other banks in your network? Do they feel like it's just, it's too soon. This is not something that's even going to impact banking. What, when you're talking to these people, what do they say they don't like? Yeah. I mean, I think that it's still at this stage, very emergent technology. And I think that two of the things that regulated financial institutions are most concerned about are cyber risk and regulation. I think everyone kind of sees the value and potential of blockchain. It's really important to try and decouple what heretofore has been about kind of cryptocurrency and speculation from, you know, kind of the power and potential of open source, decentralized, immutable ledger. Um, and that I think is easier for some institutions to grasp than others. The vision that Adam talks about of digital assets going from three to 30 trillion and cryptocurrencies being just kind of a subset of that. And there being kind of this whole universe of traditionally analog assets like equities and loans and securities as digitally native, I think is not something that feels like a here and now for a lot of banks. So they feel like they can be fast followers when those opportunities present themselves. So I don't think it's really resistance, but it's a matter of triaging what are some of the most important tech investments for banks to make. And I think that right or wrong, some banks don't view blockchain as being something that they need to develop competency with right now. Mm -hmm. And I also think that when you think about where regulation sits today, that kind of makes sense. I mean, it's still murky. It's still early. We have to kind of move away from this idea of anonymity first and the perception of tax dodging and really moving to blockchains that are helping bridge regulated gaps with the decentralized finance world. Right, for sure. So I want to go back and talk about Mike Cagney. We've had it on the show several times. I think a lot of the listeners would be aware of uh, the work he's doing at Figure and the, and the provenance blockchain, but he's been in the news the recent few weeks about the, the USDF consortium, like the, the stable coin, the provenance is, uh, I guess, issuing or the banks are issuing it, but the USDF consortium had like, I think they announced five banks publicly. Do you have a formal partnership with Figure or, you know, because obviously the banks in the network could all be potential partners with, you know, part of the USDF consortium. So tell us a little bit about that. There is no formal relationship with Figure. Uh, they are a lead investor in our blockchain fund. Uh, we don't have any obligation to work with them or invest alongside of them or do projects specific to provenance. And we fully expect 
that we will do things on Provenance as well as other layer one blockchains. So the fund is taking kind of a blockchain agnostic approach. At the same time, you know, as I talked about regulation being kind of one of the main impediments for regulated financial services to lean in on blockchain, I feel like Figure, which itself has hundreds of state and local licenses to be able to lend and move money on chain, has created a level of comfort, I think, for regulated financial services. So I think Provenance definitely has an ecosystem that lends itself to buy-in from regulated financial services companies. That kind of speaks to our informal relationship with Figure. Mike Agni is going to be leading our blockchain committee as part of our engagement with our limited partners. That'll convene three to four times a year and just speak more broadly about blockchain innovation. The USDF consortium is separate and distinct. So, you know, we were a founding member of the consortium subject to the admissions criteria on the consortium's website. Any bank could effectively join that. And so that is kind of separate and apart from, you know, an investment in our fund. And that's really the way we're thinking about USDF or other stablecoin is that we take the perspective that in order for digital assets to really reach kind of a critical mass and take off and move beyond the current use cases, that there needs to be a big infrastructure layer built out. And that's going to encompass things like data solutions and compliance and BSA and KYC and AML and on-chain identity and how we bridge legacy data systems to be able to bring that information on-chain and digital asset custody and value transfer. So how do we facilitate in a compliant manner the ability to move money on-chain? And from our perspective, the existing kind of privately issued stablecoin didn't really solve for that. And so that's where kind of USDF comes in. So USDF is a bank-issued stablecoin. Banks are the only minters of the stablecoin, and it operates within the confines of the robust regulatory infrastructure that already exists for depositories. Right, right. And uh, quick plug, if I may, we've got Mike Cagney going to be on our keynote stage at our big USA event in May, along with a couple of the banks in the USDF consortium. We're going in depth in that there. I think it was the president's working group or one of the papers that came out recently talked about banks should be the issuer of stable coins. And it sounds like that's your thesis. And I mean, as far as sort of the whole regulatory piece that is still, I would say, in development, um, is that your thesis that banks will ultimately be enabled by Congress to issue stable coins? Yeah, that is our thesis, that banks are going to be the formal bridge to decentralized finance. And the way it'll happen is through a bank regulatory construct for stable coins. Now, whether it in perpetuity exists only as a bank process, or if there are other people that can get access to special purpose charters or trust charters in order to do it remains to be seen. But from where we sit today, we feel like the regulatory framework by and large already exists for banks to be able to do this. I mean, this is already relevant and germane to the business of banking. It's not enabling anything that's incredibly unique. It's the programmability of money and being able to interact with applications that are built on chain. But the core functionality of facilitating payments and the settlement of securities transactions is you know, not that revolutionary. Right, right. That's really true. So 
I'm interested about some of the advisors, the other advisors you're working with. You mentioned Cagney, but um, I was looking through the deck that you sent and you've got some other interesting names on there as well. So for our bank tech fund, our advisors were the ICBA, which is, they probably represent the most banks in the country, and then two fintechs, Fispan enumerated. And then for the blockchain fund, we have an advisor, the NBCA, which represents over 100 banks, over 10 billion in assets. So really focusing on the banks that have the ability to lean into blockchain today. And then Piper Sandler came in. They're an investment bank that probably has the deepest tentacles across uh, the financial services landscape. They stood up a digital assets group recently and really want to be known as a thought leader in the space. And of course, figure. And as uh, Ryan said, Mike Cagney will lead our blockchain committee. Right, right. Okay. So then is it fair to say you talked about the bank tech fund being really the, you know, the back office, the infrastructure needed to, you know, run these banks in the future? Is that is it the same sort of thing? I mean, Ryan, you you did mention that like some of the things that you're you're interested in, but is that the focus? Is it going to be sort of the infrastructure piece? Yeah, I mean, I think that that's our competency, and I also think it's what's needed the most. Right. So, you know, we think about the investment landscape for investing in blockchain as, you know, you have layer ones, you have an infrastructure layer, you have an application layer, and the application layer is kind of where the really cool things happen. But we think before you can get to that point at scale, that you need to build out the infrastructure. And right now, I think we're seeing that the industry needs more of that. We need more digital asset custodians. We need more solutions that bridge the gap between legacy systems and the blockchain. We need to think about ways to bring customer information on chain and interact with those wallets. Uh, We need to think about how we solve for some of the compliance challenges and regulation and law. So we're taking kind of a walk before we run approach. The early stages of our blockchain investment focus are going to be around this infrastructure layer. And then I fully expect that as that's being built out, and that is happening somewhat quickly, but that's when we'll start to see some really compelling applications that are built leveraging the layer ones and the infrastructure layer that has been built over the previous year or two. Right, right. And we should point out too, just just so listeners are aware, I mean, with provenance and figure, the, every loan they've done, they've done billions of loans now. Everything has been done on-chain for that company. All the, all the transactions that have happened, loan sales that have happened, that, that's all happening on the blockchain. So there is some infrastructure already built. Uh, I think people need to know about that. But you just announced this fund. I mean, I, is it too early to kind of talk about some of the companies that you're looking at? Or I presume you haven't made an investment yet? Or where, where are you at? We have not yet made an investment. We have a deal pipeline that's around 55 names. It appears to be taking kind of somewhat of a barbell form. So I think that there's some early stage companies that are really interesting and exciting, you know, in some of these infrastructure categories that I mentioned. And then there are some that are just kind of further along. So series B, C names that have gotten some traction already. And those are some of the digital asset custodians that we've actually recently seen raise capital names like Anchorage or Fireblocks that are, you know, have built some infrastructure and licensing and have some kind of regulatory moat uh, in place already and customers and brand recognition. And then there's some companies that are solving kind of aspects of the KYC value chain. These are companies like Elementus or Nota Bene that we think are interesting. And, and we're kind of 
speaking to anyone and everyone in the space who's trying to tackle some of these problems with an eye towards companies that view regulated financial institutions as part of the future. So, you know, we have kind of drawn a little bit of the line in the sand that we are not DeFi purists. Uh, We do think that there is going to be some kind of hybrid that emerges. And so it's obviously important as we look to deploy capital that we're investing with companies that view banks as, you know, important end market for them. So some of the companies you mentioned there, I mean, they're pretty well established. Are you used to looking at Series A type investments or are you going to go across the board? I think it will be a little bit broader in the blockchain fund versus the bank tech fund. So the bank tech fund really does try and maintain that discipline of early stage companies at or around a million dollars in annual recurring revenue. I think the blockchain fund will look at maybe even earlier stage companies. And I think it'll look at later stage companies. So some of that series B, C, we would absolutely entertain making investments across that spectrum because we're really going to be driven on where we see the greatest need to bring regulated financial institutions into the ecosystem. And as is the case with our bank tech fund, a lot of the investment process is going to be driven based on the feedback that we're getting from our network of investors that are telling us what the impediments are, what their pain points are, where they're looking to you know, make technology investments. Right, right. Okay, so I'd like to end with hearing from each of you, if I could, about the future of, you know, of banking. It's, it feels like there's wide open field here that there's a lot of ways this can go. And maybe, Adam, I can start with you. Maybe you can take us through and Ryan, be prepared. I'm going to ask you about the longer term future. Okay. But Adam, maybe you could take us through the next like three to five years where you think how banks are going to change and what the future of banking is going to look like. So we see a future that's open and embedded and moving to cloud-based cores, artificial intelligence, blockchain rails, lots of digital assets. That the gap that you're talking about in the next three to five years, it's everything you can do to plug and play outside of your core so that you can start building that capability. And we think that a lot of banks are going to start spinning up digital banks on the side because their legacy cores are just too hard to untangle. And we think there's going to be a very, very significant ramp with banking as a service. We believe that banking as a service deposits will grow from 50 billion to 1 trillion over the next five years. And so you'll have a huge surge in banking as a service and then embedded lending. We've seen a huge growth in embedded payments, but what we're going to see next is embedded lending is going to go through the roof and banks need to be prepared for that. They need the bank to meet the customer where they live, which is in their software. They need to get connected to the balance sheet, the income statement, statement of cash flows, and make their lending decisions based off of that information. Right, right. And Ryan, I know you have touched on a couple of things, but I'd love to get your view on sort of longer term future and like banks are, they've embraced the blockchain. um, They may have embraced DeFi and how that actually is going to look. It is possible that the bank of 10 years from now does look quite different than it does today. And the business lines they're in could be very different. I still think that banks have proficiency when it comes to making loans and underwriting credit and understanding some of the nuances of a given industry or geography. It's possible that the way that loans get funded could change and they could seek out the most efficient forms of capital and DeFi could be an important part of that. So it's possible that you see banks 10 years from now embrace a bit more of a capital light model where they're really 
leaning on the things that they do best and leveraging DeFi to provide kind of the most efficient cost of capital for their customers. If I'm a bank today, I need to be thinking about how open-minded I am to the potential that my core functionality changes significantly 10 years from now and how well set up I am for that. Have I developed the competency and ability to interact with digital assets? And are there any kind of adjacencies or interesting business lines that I can develop off of that competency? We could be on the precipice of a, a pretty big shift in how we think about what our banking relationship is, and it might be something a fair bit different than you know what we're accustomed to today. Right. Well, it's going to be super interesting. I feel like there's so much happening right now in the world of finance. It's going to be an exciting time the rest of this decade to see whether banks do actually look very different or whether they've just sort of maintained their competencies and are just evolving. But regardless, it's thank you very much uh, for coming on the show today, guys. Uh, Ryan and Adam, really appreciate it. Thanks. Thanks, Peter. Thanks for having us, Peter. You know, when I listen to people like Ryan and Adam talk about uh, the future of financial services and about some of the things they're actually doing to really help enable that future, I mean, I just find it so exciting. I feel like we're at this inflection point where... You know, there's a lot of change that is right in the air. There's a lot of change that's happening. There's some new things that are being developed that haven't got traction yet, but particularly when it comes to traditional banking. But when I look at some of the things that are in development, I get really excited. I feel like the, as sort of Ryan said towards the end there, that uh, you know the future in, in ten years could look very, very different. Yeah, you know, banks are still going to issue loans, they will still uh, take deposits and do a lot of the traditional things they've done for decades or even centuries. But the way they do it and how efficient they are and uh, the way the sort of financial services are delivered to consumers and small businesses is going to be very much different and it's going to be far better. And I'm excited for that day. Anyway, on that note, I will sign off. I very much appreciate you listening and I'll catch you next time. Bye. Bye.